Listener Production. Hello, welcome to The Briefing. It's Monday, the 8th of November. Tom Tilly with you, joined by Katrina Blowers. And Katrina, in this episode, how the police will go about interviewing Cleo Smith. Yeah, we're in an unusual situation where a four-year-old girl is the key witness in her own abduction. And this week, WA detectives will begin their interview about what happened during those 18 days. So the question we're asking is, how do you go about interviewing someone so young about something so harrowing? When you were sleeping in the tent with your parents, can you tell me what you remember about that night? And rather than saying a specific day, you go back towards a specific event and then ask an open-ended question about that. That's our briefing guest who's a psychologist and she researches memory and forensic interviewing. That's in the second half of this episode. First, here are today's headlines. Well, from today, you can get your COVID booster shot as the National Booster Program gets underway. It's great news that Australians are going to be even more protected uh, against this deadly pandemic uh, with the availability uh, for those who are more than six months down the track from their second dose of their previous vaccine of a booster dose. So that's the Australian Medical Association President Dr Omar Korshid. Pfizer will be the only available vaccine for a booster shot to begin with and authorities have said that even if you've had other vaccines, Pfizer will still work as a third dose. So this rollout of boosters is starting through pharmacies and GPs and you can get all three Pfizer shots at a pharmacy. Yeah, so the first people who got vaccinated six months ago were the elderly and the immunocompromised. They were those priority groups. So they're going to be the first ones who get the third shot as well. The search for a man at Fremantle has been called off now after he was taken by a shark on Saturday, possibly even two sharks, according to some witnesses. Paul Millerchip's wife thanked the bystanders who tried to help him. To those young lads in the boat um, for what they did in what must have been an absolutely terrifying experience for them. So my heart goes out to them. That's a very emotional Mrs Miller Chip there speaking about a group of teenagers in a boat who tried to save her husband with their dinghy. Uh, They reckoned that the shark was actually even bigger than that dinghy uh, before they then used their boat to warn other swimmers. Yeah, just an incredible story. Um, Police only found a pair of goggles believed to be belonging to Paul Miller Chip. Just a shocking story, isn't it? Mm, It is. New South Wales authorities have condemned people protesting against vaccine mandates over the weekend as the state eases more restrictions today. It's not just about you folks, it's also about looking after the rest of the community and particularly those health staff. So just get real, go and get vaccinated. <laughs> That's Brad Hazard there, the health minister get in New South real Wales. Man. Yeah, he's just like, yeah, I'm over it. <laughs> Enough is enough now. Uh, You might have seen the footage of thousands of protesters all over the country wearing white. They rallied in pretty much every capital city. Also in Sydney, on the New South Wales-Queensland border, there was a particularly big rally yesterday in opposition to vaccine mandates. Yeah, there's been a number of big protests right on that New South Wales-Queensland border around vaccines. I think a lot of people travelling up from the Northern Rivers area of New South Wales Um, The good news is that as a state on the New South Wales side of that border, we've hit 90% double dose. So I think a lot of people might be frustrated at these protests, but by and large, the vast majority of people have been getting vaccinated. I guess on your side of that border though, Katrina, there's still a long way to go to get that vaccination rate a lot higher where it needs to be for that border to open. 
Absolutely, which is 80%. We are hitting apparently the 80% single dose vaxxed mark on Tuesday. But regardless of that, those borders are said to still be reopening on December 17. So big influx. It is impossible right now to book any accommodation in Queensland unless you want to pay a hefty, hefty price over that Christmas period. Yeah, and what's being called a COVID lockout will remain in place in parts of the Northern Territory until tonight after a cluster grew to three on Saturday. Under these lockout rules, they're in place until midnight in Catherine and Darwin. So the fully vaccinated can go about life as normal while wearing a mask, but the unvaccinated will be under lockdown rules. And police are investigating how eight people died in that crowd crush at the Travis Scott Astro World Festival on Friday night. So they're following up reports that concert goers were being unknowingly injected with drugs in the lead up to that deadly crush. We do have a report of a security officer that he was reaching over to uh, restrain or grab a citizen and he felt a prick in his neck. Medical staff did notice a prick that was similar to a prick that you would get if somebody's trying to inject. Wow, that is bizarre. That's the Houston police chief, uh, Troy Finner, speaking there. Police say the security guard was one of a number of victims who had to be revived using anti-drug overdose medication following that surge in the US on Friday night their time. As we mentioned, eight people were killed, but around 300 had to be treated for their injuries as well. And Katrina... Police are going to be investigating something else, which I think is Travis Scott's involvement, because there have been several cases in the past where he's been arrested for encouraging people to rush stages Mm. and security guards. Yeah, that's right. Um, A number of incidents or alleged incidents. uh, A man is actually suing him at the moment. He claims that he was allegedly left paralysed after being pushed over a balcony at one of his concerts back in 2017. Yeah, and even in the Netflix documentary about Travis Scott, he's arrested 10 minutes in um, for his actions at a gig in Arkansas. So there's clearly um, a bit of history of him inciting dangerous conduct in the crowds. And now we've got eight people that have died. So Mm. it's going to be interesting what this investigation reveals about his involvement. Yeah. All right, in a moment, interviewing four-year-old Cleo Smith. A four-year-old girl holds the key to a mystery that has gripped the country for the last three weeks. Just what happened to Cleo Smith? Yeah, the next part of the investigation gets really delicate, interviewing four-year-old Cleo Smith and what she's able to tell police and how coherently she's able to recall what happened could prove critical in a future conviction. So in this briefing topic, we are going to explore how police are going to go about that incredibly difficult, but also incredibly important task of interviewing Cleo Smith as that phase of the investigation gets underway this week. Channel 7 reporter Ben Downey has been in Carnarvon since Cleo Smith went missing. Ben, what's the focus of the investigation now? The forensics aren't going to be done here for a while. They'll spend at least five days here, perhaps longer. They basically have to go through each fibre of carpet that's in this home that could pick up any kind of hair or or DNA or gravel off the bottom of someone's shoe that could have been trod in there. They have to be absolutely certain that no one else was aware of of Cleo's disappearance or aware that she might have been spending time here. We haven't been told whether Cleo spent the entire 18 days inside that home or not. 
But the forensic investigation is still got at least a week to run. And then the detectives then be going on a lot longer than forensics at the crime scene. They will have a weekend off they've had, and then they'll be back to it for at least another month. Some of them may be foregoing Christmases and stuff like that because uh, while they've got the ultimate result of finding her alive, they still need to speak with witnesses. They still need to make sure this case they're prosecuting is watertight. And that's going to take a long, long time. Obviously, a big task ahead for the police is doing a, an interview with Cleo Smith, who will be probably the key witness to this investigation. What do you know about how and when the police will do that interview? Well, it's going to be more than one interview. She's already spoken to police um, and she's spoken to health officials because the moment she was rescued, the first thing they did after reuniting her with her family, because she was obviously well enough to be reunited, to take her to the hospital and she would have had to have some kind of discussion with health authorities to make sure that she was able to be discharged and didn't need to have any further treatment for whatever she might have endured during those 18 days. Thankfully, she was well enough to return with her family. Now, detectives, they brought in specialist police, and that was two days after uh, she was back in the arms of her family, to conduct interviews. And they're, they're basically their role is to glean as much information from a child as possible without inflicting any unnecessary trauma, uh, especially given the ordeal that Cleo's gone through. Um, but it's not just one interview. Um, Cleo is at the age where she can obviously identify names, she can identify faces and, and build a rough timeline. But, and perhaps mercifully, not at the age where she can identify certain behaviours and, and what certain things that might have been going on. So it's a very delicate procedure where if Cleo's not comfortable with talking to some detectives, unlike a normal interview, they'll put the microphone away. They'll, they'll stop things. Obviously, she's there supported by her families during these processes, as difficult as for mum and dad as it might be. But the detectives will be playing a role in her life for some time to come. That was Ben Downey from Channel 7. Now to Dr. Celine Van Gold. She's the psychologist who researches forensic interviews and memory. Celine, thanks for joining us. How will police go about this interview? These are specialised police officers. They've had extensive training in interviewing children and they usually follow this internationally recognised protocol on how to interview them. So they start off with really building rapport with the child, so making sure that the child is comfortable, that they get used to the interviewer, and they also set ground rules, so specifically emphasising that the child has some control, that if they're uncomfortable, they can stop the interview at any time. If they don't know an answer, that the child feels comfortable to say, I don't know, and doesn't start guessing. And also that if they don't understand the question, that they can indicate that and that the interviewer will rephrase the question in a way that a child will be better able to understand it. And then specifically, they start off the conversation with really open-ended question and just giving, like asking the child, well, tell me just what happened. The child will provide some details and specifically when they're a bit younger, they might be quite limited details, but these details can then be used in follow-up prompts. And I think one thing that is important to keep in mind as well is that when children come within these situations, they are often quite helpful. They, they want to help police officers. They want to help towards this. So they are often quite open to actually answering questions and to talk about what happened. Okay. And what about the actual physical context of the interview? I imagine they don't do it in one of those really harsh interview rooms out the back of a police station. I also wonder how long the interviews go for, what time of day, what role do the parents play as well? 
So in general, the child will never be interviewed in the same room that an adult will be interviewed at. So they have specific interviewing rooms designed for children with more comfortable couches and chairs and just to make the child feel more at ease. They usually want to have the child by themselves and specifically because they want to hear the child's own words. And sometimes having a parent present can actually influence how the child and what the child will disclose and how they will disclose it. So you really have to gauge a little bit how the child is feeling, how the child is responding towards the whole situation and then make a judgment call based on that. Yeah, well, speaking of a four-year-old's recollection, how does it work? Where is your, your memory and your mind at? at that age in terms of your development and how how much of a challenge does that present? Children have less structure when they're trying to store their memories into their brain. And that is because they're still learning. There's a lot of new events that they only get exposed to for the first time. Well, as an adult, you've gone through so many different experiences and by practice, you've actually learned, okay, well, what works for me? What certain prompts or cues can I use to actually trigger my own memory or to retrieve certain memories. There's also differences in the language abilities that we have and certain conceptual understanding. So for example, if we look at time, for us, it makes sense to say like, oh, what actually happened on the 21st of October? And then we can think back, oh, what kind of day was that? What do I usually do on that day? And that way we can cue ourselves to come up with certain details. Well, with children, they especially if they're that young, like yesterday, the day before yesterday, two weeks ago, 21st of October, it doesn't mean as much to them. Maybe even a Tuesday doesn't mean as much to them as it does to us. So for us to prompt their memory in that way is not as effective as it would be with adults. So we need to find different ways to actually find out, okay, well, if that is a specific day, what happened on that day? How can we get them to remember that? If we apply this, for example, to Cleo's case, it could be, I actually don't know the exact date, but we can say like, oh, when you were sleeping in the tent with your parents, can you tell me what you remember about that night? And rather than saying a specific day or whatever, you go back towards a specific event and then ask an open-ended question about that. And what you'll find is if you use these broader on the event focus or on a certain detail focus prompts, ask an open-ended questions, children will come up with more details about what happened rather than saying, well, what happened two weeks ago on a Tuesday? What are the biggest things they need to be careful of? Where can this go wrong? It can, of course, go wrong in a lot of different ways. But the most important part is that they ask appropriate questions. So what we find with our memories in general, first of all, memories both in adults and in children decay very rapidly. So technically, it means we start forgetting details very fast. As soon as we've experienced a one-off event, within the first few hours, you will forget a vast majority of details of what you've actually experienced. Now, this forgetting is not random. So what you'll start forgetting is the peripheral details. So the details that were a little bit like outside of what you were paying attention to and what you were paying attention to, those central details, those are the details that you remember for a longer period of time. So With time, you start forgetting stuff, but then it becomes really important how we ask questions and specifically focusing on open-ended questions. Because if we put, um, for example, suggestions in our questions or provide them with certain details that they didn't think of before, they can start picking up on that and actually replying that back rather than actually the details that they remember themselves. And also with young kids and kids and adults actually as well is that 
kids are really good at picking up in emotion, in tone, or just like certain ways that questions are being asked. And they can make assumptions about what the adult wants to hear based on the tone that we use. And for that reason, it's very important that we try to refrain from putting any of our preconceptions in our questions or even within our tone or emotions so that it really becomes the words and the details that the child remembers and it's an open-ended neutral question and it really gives them the opportunity to tell them what they remember. So that was Dr. Celine Van Gold from Sydney University. So, Tom, uh, as we mentioned, that interview with Cleo Smith will start this week. We might not learn exactly what she says, or we may not ever learn that, depending on what the rules are surrounding this trial, which may not even occur until sometime next year. Tomorrow on The Briefing, an amazing interview with a nun who's been campaigning against the death penalty in America since the 1980s. They even made a film about her called Dead Man Walking. Listener.